are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. It is really good to see your faces, those of you who are sitting here in front of me this morning, and it is really good to have you worshiping online with us today. So wherever you're worshiping from, I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I'm looking forward to this time we're going to have together So it's sermon time, and when we get to this time of the service every week, I think there are varied responses and attitudes when we get to this moment. I think there's some people who are saying, okay, it's sermon time. Set up straight, get my mind alert here, get my Bible, get my notepad. I want to take in everything the pastor has to say. I want to soak this in. I think there are other people who are saying, "Um, let's see if he can grab my attention today. And yet maybe there's a third group saying, okay, at sermon time, that means we're already half done. I've only got half more left. We're almost out of here, right? I hope that you're the person saying, my mind is alert. I'm ready to go. I want to soak in what you have to say. It's interesting to me that when Simon Peter writes this first epistle to these people who are being persecuted in what is today modern day Turkey, then Asia Minor, a letter that would circulate to many churches... When he gets to the body of the letter after the greeting in verse 13 of chapter 1, that's the language he uses. With your minds alert. He's talking about this is how you live this Christian life. You want to make sure that you're you're setting up straight, that you're ready to go, that you're focused, and your mind is alert. Then he says, be fully sober, meaning don't let anything impair your ability to make good decisions. With your minds alert, being fully sober, now let's do this. Set your hope one day you're going to see Jesus. One day you're going to stand before him. Everybody, everybody in the room, everybody watching in line, one day you're going to stand before Jesus. And so with your mind alert, fully sober, nothing impairing you to keep you from making good decisions, set your hope on that day ready to receive the grace that Jesus is going to give you. Now, I want you to think about that with me for a minute. I've got a a favorite preacher or two. And one of my favorite preachers is a guy whose name is Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley said, there is one question that is absolutely the best question ever asked. So here's what he says that question is. In light of my past experience, because you can learn a lot from history, right? And in light of my present circumstances, what's going on in my life today, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do in this situation? Simon Peter would say, I like this. That's what I'm talking about in chapter 1. So the reason I say this is because of this. Let me show you the next slide. We are tempted to only only focus on my present circumstances. So you say, there's something I really want. I don't have the money to buy it today. I'm thinking about going in debt for it. So let me just not just say, based on my present circumstances, I really want it now. I mean, I would like to have it now, but what about past experience? Man, the last time I borrowed money for something like that, I thought I would never get it paid back. 
It really set me back. What about my future hopes and dreams? There's somewhere I want to go financially. I have hopes and I have goals and I have dreams. If I borrow this money, does it keep me from reaching those hopes and dreams or slow me down? Am I only living for the present circumstance? So you have to take all three in light of my past experience, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams. What is the best decision for me to make? So I, I have a good friend whose name is Keith Newman. And Keith Newman is the president of the university that's next door, Southern Nazarene University. Reading dinner one day and he says, I, I've lived with this for a long time and it's been very helpful. And it's simply this statement, the longer the perspective, the better the decision. So when an NFL team begins in the spring to think about an end goal, they're not thinking we're just going to try to win the first game. That's, that's what we're going for. We, if we can just get off to a good start, they're not thinking about just going to the Super Bowl. They're thinking about how do we win the Super Bowl? And every decision they make is taking them toward that goal. So I'm not just going to think about today and what would be good for me today or what I would like today or what I would enjoy today, I'm going to think way out there in the future. The longer the perspective, the better decision. It's like years ago when Max Licato said, make most of your major decisions while standing in a cemetery. Get in your car, drive to the cemetery, get out of the car, walk around. And in that context, make that major decision. Here's what I think I'm trying to say and what Simon Peter is trying to say. What if you begin to do this? Live your life with the end in mind. So from this day forward, every decision I make, every choice that I make, every path that I choose, I am making with the end of my life in mind. There is somewhere that I want to be. And here's what Simon Peter says, you've got you've to set your mind on the hope that one day you're going to stand before Jesus, and when you stand before Jesus, you want to receive his grace. And so therefore, I'm going to live my life from this day forward with the end in mind. Now, here's the harsh reality of this statement, and that is that every one of us in the room, everybody, everybody, everybody has made decisions without the end in mind throughout our lives. We have made the mistake we have suffered the consequences. We have regretted those choices. But we know what it's like to make a decision that says, I'm just going to make a decision that says, it's going to make me happy right now. And we have lived to regret that choice. And no longer, Paul, uh, rather Simon Peter says to his readers, why don't you do this? Why don't you live your life from this day forward with the end in mind? So let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Okay. He writes to this group of people who are being persecuted because of their faith, and he only deals with essentials. Now, you and I know that when you're in crisis, you deal with essentials. COVID-19 strikes, what do we do? We're going to focus on essential businesses, essential workers, essential services. Everything else can go on hold for a while. We've got to deal with essentials because we're in a crisis. These people are living in crisis. Nero is the emperor of Rome. He is beginning to slaughter Christians because of their faith in Jesus. When Simon Peter writes, he doesn't deal with the fluff. 
He deals with what's essential. And that's what he's dealing with today. So here we go. Verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert. You ready? Being fully sober. Not going to let anything appear my ability to make good choices. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. One day, I'm going to face Jesus. And I'm going to make all of my choices from this point forward based on what I want to happen on that day. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived. These feel like tough words in ignorance. What he means is before you even knew about Jesus, before you even knew you could be forgiven of your sin, before you even knew there was a better life, okay? So don't conform to that. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So since you call on a father on this Father's Day, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Last command. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, Read these words with me. Love one another deeply from the heart. So how do you live with the end in mind? I think it's really important that from time to time, we talk about a pretty heavy subject, and the pretty heavy subject is sin. I think it's really important that as you work your way through this life, you're very aware of the sin that's in the world. And I think it's really important as you work your way through life that you become very aware of any sin that might be in your own heart in life. When we talk about sin, we have a pretty concise definition, and it says simply this. A willful transgression, that means I am knowing that I'm doing it, choosing to do it against what I know to be the will of God. So I know God has an opinion about this, and I'm choosing to ignore what God wants. Instead of doing what God wants, I'm going to do what in this moment I want. Not living with the end in mind, I'm living with right now in mind. I'm only concerned about my present situation. And so a sin would be a willful transgression against the known will of God. I know where God stands on it. I'm not going to consider in this moment what God wants. That's sin. And so James says, here's the way sin happens. The enemy, he drags us away and entices us with our own evil desire. Now think about that phrase, evil desire, selfish desire, self-centered desire. 
So the enemy kind of drags us away and entices us. And what he uses to do that with is our own self-centered, selfish desire. This is what I want right now, evil desire. And then he says, when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, think about this. Another writer in the New Testament, Simon Peter, that we read a moment ago, says, before you knew about Jesus, before you even knew you could be forgiven of sin, before you knew about this other way of life, you lived according to evil desire, selfish desire, self-centered desire. That was your way of life. In fact, he says it was a very empty way of life. And then he goes on to talk about how you were purified, meaning that before that, you were not pure in the eyes of God. You were living according to evil desire. It was an empty way of life. You were impure as you stood before God. And so what you learn in these very rich words, in this letter that Simon Peter writes to these Christians who are being persecuted because of their faith, is a great deal about the nature of God, but you're also learning a great deal about the nature of the human being. And here's what you learn. God is holy. No other way to say it. We're going to dive deep into that in a moment. But God is completely holy. Here's the sad reality, though. Man is sinful. See, I would love it if that wasn't the truth. If we said, you know what? Really, really, though, deep down in humanity, there's a lot of good. If you just dig deeper, you're going to find a lot of good. And the Scripture actually says, nope. If you dig deeper, you find a lot of selfishness and self-centeredness, and you find a lot of sin. And so apart from God, apart from grace, man is very sinful, in need of forgiveness, in need of repair, in need of restoration, and in need of transformation. I really don't know how many people today could just kind of look around at the world and say, no, I disagree. I don't think human beings are very sinful. I don't think they are very selfish. I don't think they are very self-centered. I think as we look at our world today, we would have to say, wow, 2,000 years ago, that was all written. God is holy, man is sinful, and how true it is today. This is where I struggle. I didn't want to say this. I felt like all week in preparing the sermon, I was finding avenues not to deal with this. Finally, yesterday, I just kind of surrendered. See, the reason that Annette and I said to our little girls, Brittany and Morgan, when they were really small, make sure you brush your teeth before you go to bed. And the reason we would say to them, hey, make sure you wash your hands before you come to the table when they were little girls is because... They were prone sometimes not to brush their teeth or wash their hands. There was an issue. And I'm just going to say it right here and right now. The reasons that Simon Peter says, don't be conformed to your evil desires like you used to live is because there was a temptation for them to conform to evil desires. And so here's what I'm trying to say that I really don't want to say. And that is simply this, that as long as you and I are in these bodies of ours, as long as we are in this flesh, the enemy is going to tempt us to conform to evil desire, not to live with the end in mind, but only to live with the present in mind. Bottom line. 
As long as you're alive, the enemy is going to tempt you not to live with the end in mind. He's going to tempt you to only live with the present in mind. It's the enemy saying to you, come on, I'm talking about a deal we can get done today. I'm talking about satisfying your appetite right now. It is always, always, always going to be the temptation. So when I stand up here on Sunday morning and say to you, live with the end in mind, that's what Simon Peter is calling his readers to. The reason I'm saying it to you and the reason he said it to them is because the enemy is always going to tempt you not to do so. Okay? So Annette and I, my wife, who is right here with me, learned about a month ago that our daughter Morgan, who is 26, lives in Oklahoma City, downtown, was going to be moving from one apartment to the next. So we immediately jerk out our phones, we pop it on our calendar, and we look forward to yesterday. We were going to help Morgan move, spend a day with her, and we did. It was awesome. We get up, we get downtown, we load the U-Haul with all of Morgan's stuff, cart it over just a few blocks to another apartment, love her new place, so happy for her, kind of exciting, got to spend the whole day, even ate dinner with her, and just felt like the day was full and complete. So I'm thinking, how bad could this be? She's single. She's only lived on her own a few years. She can't have much stuff. That was not a good assessment of the situation that I was getting into, okay? Although she had gone through a lot of her things and said, this isn't moving, getting rid of this and all that, there were still a few choices to be made. And so I could tell that she was struggling at one point over one item. And I go, baby, what is it? She says, come here. I put down what I'm getting ready to carry out to the truck and I look over at her and she says, is it bad if I get rid of a picture that I painted of Jesus four years ago when I was in college. And jokingly, I responded to Morgan, no, because that doesn't look like him anyway. You know. <laughs> I said, let me see the picture. She flips it around. And I said, hey, Morgan, four years later, if you were going to paint a picture of Jesus, would it be different than that picture? Now, Morgan knows who she's dealing with, and she goes, oh, good one, Ricky. <laughs> so she sits down on the couch. I sit down on the couch. And I said, how has your picture of Jesus changed over the last four years? Now, I didn't ask her, how has Jesus changed? He has not changed. I said, how has your picture of him, your understanding of him changed? And so for a few minutes, we talked about how she sees Jesus differently now than she did four years ago. How has your picture changed of Jesus? You say, is it really important? Oh, my goodness. You have no idea how important it is. Even into this conversation, it is monumental. Because in this conversation of living with the end in mind is this concept of holiness. You heard it a moment ago, right? So let's talk about holiness for a minute. John Wesley, who lived during the, you know, 
1700s, you mean all of them? Well, most of them. He lived to be 87. He was born 1703. His birthday would have been last Wednesday. Um, John Wesley, responsible for the Wesleyan revival, the development of the Methodist movement, author, theologian, has helped us a ton in our understanding of God and our Christology, our understanding of Christ. He said this, as I have studied the scripture and as I've studied individuals and them walking with Jesus, I have come to this conclusion that all people who have come into relationship with Jesus have learned that they have remaining sin in their life. What about you? You came to know Jesus. You said, I love this. I love being a Christian. I love this life in Jesus. Did you at some point say, I, I still have some sin in my life? He says it this way. We try ever so hard, but we cannot fully cleanse our hearts and our hands. Is that your story? I keep trying to do better, but I continue to find myself slipping up. However, when I open the Bible, here are the words that I read. Be holy because God is holy. And I feel like, oh, man, I fall so short of this, you know. Four times in the Old Testament, be holy because I'm holy. The, the Hebrew word is kodesh, holy. It means to be separate, to be set apart. God alone is holy. The word that I love best to describe holy is the word other. God is other than anything I've ever experienced in my life. God is like nothing else in this world. God is completely in this category over here that is totally other than anything else. God is holy. But when I get to the New Testament, I find the same words again right here in 1 Peter. Be holy because I am holy. This process of becoming holy is what we call the process of sanctification, of being set apart for God's purposes. And when we encounter Jesus, our eyes are open to what God is really like and to this life that we are called to live. And all of a sudden, it begins to make sense, and we actually understand that's what holy looks like. Jesus is holy. Jesus is God. Jesus, in his very nature, is holiness. And so to be holy is to be more like Jesus. That's what holiness is, Christ-likeness. And so to live with the end in mind, Simon Peter says, is simply this, to be holy in all you do. And what does he mean when he says be unholy and all you do? He means to be like Jesus, to live your life from this day forward with the end in mind saying, I'm going to live my life to be as much like Jesus as I can be. There's the example. There's the goal. There's the standard. There's the measure. That's how I want to live my life. I want to be like Jesus. He goes on to say, if you really want to live with the end in mind, you also want to live in reverent fear of God. Respect God completely. Whatever God says, that means a lot to me. Whatever God wants, that's huge in my life. 
And he says, Simon Peter, why would I live my life in reverent fear of God? And he says, well, number one, because one day you're going to stand beside God and he is the impartial judge and he will judge you. So you're living with the end in mind. So every choice you make, every decision you make, you make it with the end in mind. And the other reason he says is because he gave his only son for you. Do you realize the price that was paid for your salvation? So how many of you today will actually catch a little HGTV? Come on, hands in the air. Be proud of it. Don't be ashamed. There you go. Yeah, I'm telling you. Just look at you guys. You're going to get your little Chip and Joanna before the end of the day, aren't you? Some love it or list it's coming your way this afternoon. Every time you get into one of those shows, they always find this, hey, you know what? Let's go dig this out of the shed. I bought it years ago at a junk store. It's either a window or a door. Or it's a table or a chair or something. And they restore it and they bring it in and they set it in the newly finished house. And it's just, it's perfect. And that's the key word in all of this language. To ransom. To buy back. It's like when the Old Testament, when Hosea goes to the auction block and he buys back Gomer, his wife, who had become a prostitute, and now she stands as a slave. And he purchases her and he brings her home and he restores her to being his wife. That's what Jesus did for us. He bought us back and restored us. The lamb without spot or blemish has saved us from death. Chosen before the creation of the world, our Jesus, who was raised from the dead, Simon Peter has done all of this for us. So what's it mean to live with the end in mind? You, you live a life of holiness, Christ-likeness. You live a life in reverent fear for God. And look at the third one. You live a life loving one another deeply from the heart. So this is where I'm going to pull up the stool. I'm going to sit down. You and I, we're going to have a conversation. We're in a season right now as a nation that sets an incredible backdrop as an example for this conversation when we think about racism, okay? So what's it mean to love one another deeply from your heart? So let's just suppose that I'm standing at the back door today when you're exiting, and I say, hey, come here. And you walk over to me, and I say, I just want you to know, I love you. And you're going to respond, Pastor, thank you. You might even say, I, I love you too. We might even hug. And then you say, maybe, maybe I could take just a minute to tell you that I'm, Pastor, I'm going through a really difficult time right now. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no we're not doing that. We're not going there. And you say, I'm, I'm sorry. And I say, no, I don't want to hear about your troubles. You think I don't have troubles? I'm not here for you to drag me down today in the mud with you. Go on. Get it all worked out. Come back. We'll be close. You'd be like, well, what kind of a pastor are you? And what do you even mean when you say you love me? Do you know what it means to love somebody? Doesn't love have something to do with bearing one another's burdens? If you really love me and I'm going through a hard time, doesn't that mean that you're going to kind of walk with me through this hard time? Does it mean that you're going to shoulder this heavy burden with me? Is that what it means? Doesn't it mean to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn? Isn't that what it means to love somebody? 
So when I have a brother or a sister of any color who's going through a hard time, wouldn't it mean that I would walk with him? So a preacher that I was listening to on a podcast this week said something really good. I needed to hear it so bad. And if I needed to hear it, I can't imagine how bad you guys need to hear it. Here's what he said. He said, people say, I'm not racist. And he said, I'm, I'm not. If you ask me, am I racist? I would say, well, there are definitely things that I need to get better at work through, but I sure wouldn't call myself a racist. He said, you know what else I would not say I am? I would not say I'm a child abuser. But if I'm aware that a child is being abused, Christian love will not allow me to do nothing about it. I cannot just say, well, I'm not a child abuser. The kid in that house over there, yeah, he's getting abused. It's bad, but I'm, I'm not a child abuser. No, Christian love is going to call me to do something about that child being abused. I can't just act like nothing's up. And to say I'm not a racist, as a Christian, does not free me to say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. So I got to end with this, and I promise I'm ending. But I was so proud this week, I could not stand it. I mean, I was just swelling up with pride because our sister church, Two Lakes Community Church, had planned a Juneteenth celebration. Now, it ended up getting rained out, and we didn't get to do it, and they're hoping to reschedule something. But you know what was so awesome to me? They put it on Facebook. We're going to march from this point in Lyrewood down to this point, and we're going to have some hot dogs and stuff, and we're going to have some people speaking. So many people from BFC said, Pastor, I'm going. I'm going to stand beside my brothers and sisters in the Two Lakes community, many of them of color, and I'm going to go to the Juneteenth celebration, and I'm going to stand by them. See, I, th I think that's doing something. I think it's saying something. And I think it makes a difference in the world. So don't just live for the moment. Live with the end in mind. And the reason we're talking about it is because the enemy is always going to tempt you to live for the present, not with the end in mind. And so how do you live with the end in mind? You try to be like Jesus in every way. You pray, God, give me grace to be like Jesus. Let me respond like Jesus. Let me think like Jesus. Let me love like Jesus. And let me... By God's grace, live in reverent fear for God. Whatever God wants, that's big to me. And let me, by God's grace, love others deeply. Think about this with me. He can't just talk about holiness, okay? My relationship with God, living in reverent fear for God. You know, he can't stop there because he realizes that if I really get this right, my vertical relationship, my relationship with God, if I really get this right, guess what? It's really going to affect this right here. It's going to affect my relationships with other people. You can't say that I've got this all worked out, but it doesn't affect the way I treat other people. You cannot separate the two. If I truly love God, 
then I truly love my neighbor. They go together, they're inseparable. God, help us, I pray, to live with the end in mind, to say no to the enemy. to strive to be like Jesus, to live in reverent fear for you, Father, and to love others deeply from our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.